0: Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast by Precept Ministries Canada. Know God deeply and live differently by studying His Word and discovering God's truth for yourself. You are listening to a series called Jesus' Message to the Seven Churches, and it goes through Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Now here is episode 7, The Church of Sardis. Hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake. Back again, it is September can't believe it. September already. Thank you for tuning in to Unlocking the Truth podcast as we are going to be completing the series on the seven churches to uh, in Revelation. Man, oh man, it seems like so long since I've been back in the studio and recording. Got to tell you, thank you for your patience. I was getting some messages about where are the other Uh, podcasts for Revelation. Our plan was to run them right through the summer and get them all recorded before uh, August. But I've got to tell you, our family, uh, we went on what I'm calling the midlife crisis vacation. We decided that uh, we were going to go to Alberta uh, with our kids. My daughter turned uh, 17, in June. My son is 18 and I feel like uh, time is slipping away. It's going quick and this is my daughter's last year of high school and I want to grab the family and take them to see the Rocky Mountains before universities and all of these uh, things of the life take them in a different direction. So I was like, I gotta go. We gotta go, so we booked the trip and we went. And unfortunately, I brought home something more than some souvenirs. Uh, COVID nineteen hit us, hit me on the flight home, and I was down for a good portion of uh, the rest of July and August, and couldn't record any podcasts. So I was saving you folks from hearing uh, all the coughing and craziness that comes along. With COVID. So apparently COVID and I were best friends. Apparently it's never going away and uh, we've just got to learn to live with it. I got to tell you, forget about COVID. Uh, We had the most amazing, amazing time out in Alberta. We drove from uh, Jasper uh, flying into Edmonton, drove to Jasper down into... Uh, Banff and, and in Lake Louise, and we we stayed in Canmore and did some rafting on the river. and But one of the most amazing things, there is no denying that God is creator of this world when you stop and you look at Lake Moraine. Lake Moraine used to be on the $20 bill, but man, this is this really, really blue lake, and it's Very blue from what they uh, call the some from some mountain dust that gets into the water and makes it uh, a vibrant blue just for a few weeks uh, in the in the summer that comes after the spring melt. And we were there at the perfect time and we were just looking at this and going, this is one of the most amazing things we have ever seen. Well, coming from the concrete jungle of Ontario, there's no doubt. There's nothing comparable to seeing the Rocky Mountains in person. I've seen them many, many times. I've skied them, but to take the family and just watch their eyes as they saw God's amazing creation uh, was just blowing our minds. But we're back. We're back in the swing of things. I'm looking forward to Uh, getting into this week's episode. Uh, Let me pray, and then we will uh, dig right in. Father, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you for your amazing creation. We thank you that uh, we have opportunities to see uh, different parts of the world and just look and and see what you have done with the with your very voice as you spoke creation into existence. That, Father, nothing is outside of your design, outside of your plan, and the same can be said about your word. It is so well put together. It When we study it and we read it and we understand it, we know that no human mind could put this together, that it fits so well together and it is so applicable, not just from the day it was written, But even to today, Lord, and so I pray as we walk through uh, this next church that uh, this church that we're going to look at, this one is one that we really need to draw attention to. That, Lord, uh, you would speak to our hearts and that you would challenge us and you would convict us and you would help us to grow to be more like you in all that we do. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. A little review, folks. A little review isn't so bad. Let's let's just look at some of the things that we've gone through. Chapter one, we looked at Jesus and, and the image of Jesus and the and the vision that John had, uh, the vision of the book of Revelation, and John uh, saw Jesus standing in the midst of uh, lampstands. They, these seven churches. And now he's giving um, his X-ray of the churches. Remember, a lot of these churches, they look great from the outside. They got, they got sweet buildings, so to speak, Then all is, all is well. We, if we were to do a quick look at these churches and go, oh man, that is a sweet church. Look at the steeple on that thing. But inside, doing the X-ray, looking at the hearts of the individuals that are within the church— there are some things that Jesus has to say to these churches. The church at Ephesus, we called it the backsliding church. They started well, but they uh, were moving backwards. Uh, remember, you've got to come back to your your first love. The church at uh, Smyrna, it didn't have really a, 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 commend- a commendation, but it had all encouragement. Uh, stand strong for the um suffering that you are going through. The church at Pergamum, the worldly church that kind of had one foot in the world and one foot in the church. We we looked at that one as well. Thyatira, the, the unrepentant church, and the one that uh, was tolerating uh, sin. So this week, we're going to look at the church at Sardis. This church, this is a uh, convicting church. This church uh, was very hard uh, to work through, and I know, folks. As a as a pastor, as a, I served as a pastor for many years, this one this one's hard because this one looks really good. This church is running really well without the X-ray. All right, the message to the church at Sardis. It's the shortest of the seven messages, but it is way, way, big time, big time on conviction. But when you just look at everything on the outside of this church, it looks great, all right? But remember, we uh, are looking at Jesus' x-ray of this church, all right? So this church, um, when I've visited churches in the past, I've seen this church. Uh, Maybe maybe you... (laughs) Even attend this church Uh, just to think through uh, what this church looks like. So let me let me give you a description of uh, what this church might look like. All right. This church, uh, when you grab the bulletin from the usher, do we still do that? Do we still have after covid? Do we still got the bulletin being handed out to the churches? Think about those things. They're filled with the announcements. Sometimes they've got the money, uh, the tithing situation. On the bottom, the the amount to budget, uh, what's been given, what needs to come in. All of that information is a hope that it will draw your attention to give more. All of these things are in this bulletin. This bulletin of this church, it is packed. Uh, The church that we're going to look at, it is filled with events. Okay, They're doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, It's a full bulletin it's an active church and you know what they're really good at as well they're good at uh having all of their meetings uh their meetings to uh, plan and strategize and discuss uh, this church was well organized in in its structure they were an active church uh, they had all these meetings they had like finance meetings and you know I'm just Picturing the church, okay, I, I was a pastor of one of these churches. They, they have finance meetings. They have Christian education meetings. They have small group meetings. They have every kind of meeting you can think of. Buildings and ground, fences and all these things. All this stuff was happening. The bulletin was filled with all the activities of the church that they were accomplishing. And when you looked at it, you, you would look at this church and go, Oh man, this church is active. Whew! This church has got a lot going on. They even had good doctrine. Uh, good doctrine was being taught in the church. Uh, they were celebrating and remembering uh, the sacraments, and they were doing it in an orderly fashion. I, I, I think about the the days of when I was pastoring in a Baptist church. <laughs> and in the Baptist church, we one of the, the sacraments we would practice is, is uh, the Lord's Supper. Oh, how how the the pastor would stand and the deacons would stand and then they would have a pattern of which they went out and then you'd go you'd come back and then there was a certain way that you gathered the plates and the cups and you put it all together and and that was the way uh you would practice that sacrament in an orderly fashion i remember one time i suggested i said what if we what if we took an approach where we had the people come out of their pews and they grabbed the the bread and then they they dipped it into the to the juice and then they went back to their seats not quite the the catholic where the the priest is feeding the people and giving the blessing but what if we all rip from the saint don't do that no this that's not an orderly way of doing these things and so this church was so uh in good position to practice the things That They had to do Uh, one commentator says that this church. All right was one of the seven and it was the wealthiest church of all seven Uh, one commentator said they were fabulously wealthy. (laughs) All right, so uh, they had tons of money. They had a ton of stuff going on. They were planning they were strategizing in ways to to get the gospel out into the community they were building their structure around their church all of this stuff was happening and sometimes we walk into churches and we see that and who oh, this church has got it all together it looks great it's busy they've got money to spend on things to do in the community but then it goes under the x-ray And Jesus looks into this church, and he looks a little bit deeper than the surface bulletin, and this is what he has to say to this church. So remember, as we walk through, we're going to look at the description of Jesus. We're going to look at the reproof. We're going to look at the action that needs to be taken, and we're going to look at the promise that comes to the overcomer. All of these things uh, we'll walk through and take this. So let's start with the historical background. All right, the historical background this church was 48 kilometers southwest of Tyatira. Uh, they were a wealthy city. Uh, they were the regional capital of the ancient kingdom Lydia, which is now modern day Turkey. This uh, city of Sardis was an influence to Athens. They were known for luxurious clothing. Uh, trade and it made them famous for being able to trade these clothes all over uh, the world. Uh, they were known as one of the sources of pure gold and silver coins. Uh, modern currency started in Sardis. They had a large synagogue there that covered over five acres of land. Who imagine being the custodian of that synagogue? Uh, by the time John wrote Revelation. Sardis had deteriorated. It was a city that was resting on its past success. Uh, This this sets the standard for where we're headed today. Uh, This church was resting on its past success, and they were not living in the present trouble that they had. Well, what do I mean by that? They were looking back at what they were doing well when they were successful in the past, and they were not looking at the current situation that the church was in. Uh, Maybe maybe you know what those conversations look like uh, in the church. Well, this is the way that we've always done it. Uh, We're not going to uh, do anything different than what we did back in the 50s because we know that's what worked in the 50s, and that's how we're going to grow the church. You see, what needs to stay point by point here in a church—and this is why I want you to understand— is that it's not that churches need to conform to the culture they're in. We're seeing that happen. We're seeing that churches want to uh, adjust to the culture, to be more welcoming to to different communities and different groups of people. And part of changing their dynamic to be more welcoming to the community, they actually are starting to bend the, the true principles and doctrines of the Word of God. You see, the most important thing is, yes, we can adapt as a church to our culture to reach the needs of the people that are in the culture that we are ministering to, but you can't change the pillars, okay? That, that's what has to stay the same. Uh, you can't change the pillars of the Trinity, You can't change that the very word of God, the 66 books of the Bible, are God's word itself, that it's his very voice. You can't change verses in the Bible so that you can reach a community and hope that they'll come to Jesus. You can't do that, all right? Jesus is at the center, and if Jesus says, hey, this is sin, it's sin. It's not going to change in the word of God. Therefore, we can't change the doctrines that are found in the Word of God to meet the needs of the community. But we also have to adapt. We have to adjust. We have to change. There's things like changing. We've seen it. We've seen how music formats change within the church, which is one of the greatest arguments of the church, isn't it? Whether we should have drums and pianos and all of these different things, or should we stick with the traditional hymns that were so good in the 50s. Why? Because they're so doctrinally sound in comparison to some of these contemporary worship songs that are out there that are not doctrinally sound. Or should we keep running same things? Like, for example, here's one, Sunday school. Let's keep doing Sunday school because that's how we reached families back when our church was super successful. And so this church here was looking at all of that. What Built us. What got us stronger? What got us to build new parts of our building? What was it that made us grow back then that we're still hanging on to, and yet we're this church is now missing that there's a change in the culture, that there's a change happening, and because they're so stuck in what was successful in the past, Jesus is going to address them, and it's the same with the city. And so this is what we're going to look at now, and let's look at what Jesus has to say to the church at Sardis. Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this, he who has the seven spirits of God, the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, wait for it, oh no, oh no, here it is, but you are dead. Do you you see the big intro coming through now? You look at the bulletin and you go, oh my goodness, this church is alive. This church has a ton of money. They're planning, they're strategizing, they're meeting. They've got a ton of programs going on. But then they go into the machine and get the x-ray. And Jesus says, in name only, you are alive, but you are dead. All right, let's look at the first part. Let's not jump too far ahead here. Let's look at the description of Jesus. And we've got the seven uh, spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, let's cross-reference back into Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. And it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits... Who are before his throne? All right. So who might these seven spirits be? All right. So what we're looking at in the text here is that uh, in Revelation one four it says the seven spirits, and where are they? They are before the throne. All right. So let's keep keep looking at this. Uh, Revelation chapter four verse five. We have. Another reference to the seven spirits, and it unpacks for us uh, some more information about who they are. Uh, Out from the throne comes flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. These seven lamps of fire are the seven spirits of God. Okay, so we've got uh, the seven uh, spirits, all right, that were before the throne. The seven spirits uh, are the spirits of God. Okay, let's, let's keep looking through the book of Revelation, God's word as its best own commentary. And then we have Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. And then I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders as lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Okay, so we've got the seven spirits who are before the throne. We've got the the. Um Seven um, lamps of fire, which are the spirits of God. We then learn that the seven horns and seven eyes are the spirit, um the spirits of God. Okay, So now, let's look at Zechariah chapter four, verses one to fourteen. And I'm not going to read through all of these verses, otherwise, You'll be on this podcast all day long. So you can go and look at Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 to 14. But I want to draw out uh, the first six verses because let's keep context. Context is king. Uh, Then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who was awakened from his sleep. He said to me, who do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand of gold with its bowl on top of it, and its seven lamps, on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it. Also, two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left side. Then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Like, what am I seeing right now? And the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord, I don't. Verse 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God told Zerubbabel uh, that um, the temple would not be built by might, and power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, verse 10, chapter uh, 4, verse 10 uh, says, For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. The, these seven are the eyes of the Lord, which reign to and fro on the earth, seven eyes of the Lord. The temple was God's dwelling place among his people. Uh, the temple represented God's presence in Israel. And let's look at Proverbs chapter 15 uh, verse 3. Let's keep looking at this idea of of the eyes of the Lord. And Proverbs This is what the Proverbs says in chapter 15, uh, verse 3. It says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching evil and good. So it seems when we go back to Revelation chapter 3, and we're looking at the description of Jesus, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, We know the seven stars of the churches. And so we have here that the number seven is the number of perfection in Scripture. Since Revelation is filled with symbolism, it's not out of order for us to come to the conclusion that the perfect number seven, along with the spirits, the seven spirits, would be representation of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word speaking to us clearly. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the lamp before the throne. The lamb is there, of course, and God sits on the throne. And so the Trinity is represented here. The Trinity is present. The Holy Spirit gives light and goes throughout the world seeing what's going on. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, let's look at that together, but Isaiah chapter 11 uh, gives us a great uh, description of the Holy Spirit, but it gives us a description of the Holy Spirit, <coughs> pardon me, when it rested on, when he rested on Jesus. Uh, chapter 11, verses one 1- 5. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and the branch from its roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Uh, Listen to what he says about the Spirit. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be uh, be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. So if we were to look through Isaiah 11, chapter, uh, verses 1 to 5, uh, there are six things that we can see that the Spirit uh, gives all right here's the six things and then we're we're gonna move into the reproof all right so uh six things are uh the spirit of gives wisdom and understanding uh, the spirit gives counsel and strength and it is a spirit of knowledge and fear and so what Jesus is saying here is he who has the Holy spirit and the seven churches. He says, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. You see, it's the Holy Spirit. It's doing the x-ray. It's looking deep within the church and it is seeing, you know what? This church is busy. (laughs) I looked at the bulletin and oh man, they got a lot going on. But then when he looks into the heart, when he looks into the heart of the church, dead. And so the title that we're going to give this church, uh, this church is the dying church. Uh, You've got uh, the backsliding church, the suffering church, the worldly church, the unrepentant church, and now we have the dying church. Uh, Jesus, let's look at the reproof now. Jesus, uh, he really gets to the point here. Uh, There's not a lot of buildup. There's not a lot of, hey, you're running well. Uh, keep going. I love your bulletin and how busy you look. I love that you're planning and strategizing and um, you've got a good bank account. Like, whoo, good job, guys. No, no. He goes right to the reproof. And and he says to them that he goes, I know everything that you're doing. I see it. I can look at the bulletin and say, you've got a lot happening. And, and the intention is, is there, but it's not driven by the heart. Uh, their deeds were completely sufficient on the outside. When you look from the outside, but within, not so good. Uh, look what he says. Um, he, he tells them in verse 3 for a minute. Uh, so remember what you have received and heard and keep it. Repent, therefore, if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief who will not know what hour I will will come. And so we're going to be looking here at the importance of all of these uh, deeds, all right? How these deeds are being done. Uh, One scholar wrote concerning this reproof uh, that their deeds are not complete in the sight uh, of God, that they're uh, not doing so well, so to speak. And he wrote like so many churches today, uh, this church was defiled by the world, characterized by its inward decay, and populated by unredeemed people playing church. <laughs> Man, like I-, I just want you to hear that again, I- so you don't have to rewind what, what just happened. The scholar said, like so many churches today, this church was defiled by the world, character, characterized by inward decay, and populated by unredeemed people playing church. It, it, it reminds me of a, a young child. Uh, when I was young, this is going to age me now, one of, my, one of the shows that I loved to watch that was like a 70s show, and, and uh, it was called Emergency. And I can't. Rem- I can only remember the one guy's name from it. But the one guy's name was Mantooth. Like, how can you forget Mantooth as the one guy's name? But they were paramedics, and I would use my dad's fishing tackle boxes. I would play with my friends in the backyard. And we would have like somebody who was injured on the ground. And I would come with these two fishing tackle boxes and my Fisher-Price stethoscope and all of the stuff that you would think would be medical in there. And I would come in like Mantooth the paramedic. And I would walk in and I would pretend to treat my friend for the problems that he had. And we would tie the... Oh, so cool. I mean, we would tie the... You know what? Kids don't do this much today. They play video games. They don't get out in the backyard and use their imagination the way they used to. I would tie a rope to the tackle box. I would fling it up through the tree, and I would say, we're well, on the side of a mountain, and we gotta bring this ta- We got to bring these medical supplies up, over. And then we'd bring them down, and we'd treat this person for what they had. But guess what, folks? I wasn't a real paramedic. If that was actually to happen, I would have no clue in my young age, how to treat somebody with a broken arm or even how to check for a heartbeat and do CPR and do all of that stuff. I was playing the role of a paramedic. I was playing man-tooth. And that's what this scholar says this church is doing. This church is filled with people who aren't saved that are playing church. You see, they got they got the meetings, they got all of the outside stuff that looks really good, going well for them, but but they're dead. Uh, their heart is not right before the Lord. So let's let's continue to, to walk through uh, this reproof, because when we look at this idea of the unredeemed people playing church, uh, the Bible is very clear on uh, how our spiritual lives are brought into existence and so I want to walk through some passages with you and and let's look at this uh, together all right so John chapter John chapter 1 uh, verses 11 to 13 all right so let's go to John 1 uh, 11 to 13 listen to uh, what the Bible says about the spiritual life. All right? Verse 11, this is what it says in John chapter one. I got to go to the right, got to go to the right page. I went to John chapter 11 instead of John chapter 1. So John 1 11 to 13. And here we go. It says, uh, He came to his own. Uh, Jesus came. To his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him to them gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe his name, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. All right. So there's a couple key words in there we we need to to look at, and one is uh, believe in his name and become children of God. Uh, John chapter 10, uh, verse 10. So in John 10, 10, the thief comes uh, only to steal and kill. And I, Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Uh, Faith in Jesus brings life. Uh John chapter 14 uh, verse 6. So in John chapter 14 verse 6 it says Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Alright, so you're getting the pattern here that Jesus is the way uh, of salvation. Romans chapter uh eight verses one and two it says therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ Jesus, and that has set you free from the law of sin and death. How are we saved? By Jesus. Uh, verses 9 to 11. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Jesus. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 33. Just jump back. In John 6, verse 33, and listen to what uh, is said here. Uh, it tells us in these verses that for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Uh, we're, we're talking about Jesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 13. So Ephesians 1, 13 says, In him... You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. All right. So uh, look at chapter two, Ephesians chapter two, verses one to five. And you were dead in your trespasses in sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit is now working In the sons of your disobedience, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath and even as the rest. But God, rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him. And sealed us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, you gotta go, you gotta stop. And if light bulbs are not coming on for you right now, you need to rewind this and you need to listen to the beginning again with the description of Jesus. Because what we're getting here is we're getting Jesus doing the x ray of the church and he's saying, Everything and all the deeds that you are doing, they make you look busy. They make you look alive, but you are dead. And what does Jesus say? He says in the beginning in verse one, he who has the seven spirits and the seven stars says this. He who has the Holy Spirit says to you that you do not have the Holy Spirit. Boom. It's amazing. Why are they dead? Because they're not saved. They haven't been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Their deeds are not complete. They, they play church. They profess Jesus with their mouths, but their hearts have not been transformed. They know the truths with their head, but they've not sunk deep into their hearts. And so they're playing this church, motioning through the system of church, but they're not saved. And Jesus is telling them this. That when you are saved, when you are a child of God, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what those verses are telling us. And he's looking at this church and he's stopping and he's saying, you're dead. Essentially, he's saying, stop playing church and make it real oh my goodness, the light bulb should be going on for you folks. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. I want to look at some of these uh, signs because maybe, just maybe, in this moment, something is tugging at your heart because maybe you have been playing church. Maybe you are serving on all of the committees Maybe you are the one who is going through the motions of church. Maybe you are the one that are singing the songs, but you don't really understand what they are. Maybe you're the one practicing all the sacraments, and yet you don't understand the importance of them. Maybe, just maybe, you have yet to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. So what does the Bible say are the signs of a true believer? What does a true believer look like according to God's word? Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 6. But as Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. <laughs> there, there's one for you. There's, there's a sign of a true believer. A true believer is one who holds fast to their confession and hope firm until the end. Uh, that's, that's until either Jesus returns or you go to meet the Lord on the day that is appointed for you to leave this earth. Hold fast to the confession. All right, let's look at uh, verses 12 to 14 in Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brethren, that there not be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our insurance, firm until the end. All right. So do you see, do you see the second one? First is hold fast to your confession. Uh, your confession of faith that you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died, that he was buried, that he arose again, and that he appeared to many, and he now ascended into heaven this is the gospel that you hold fast that you have made jesus lord and savior of your life and you now live for him now the second is hold fast the beginning of the their assurance until the end hold fast to the promises given that in this life that we will have trouble that the christian walk is not an easy walk but what are we looking forward to? The hope that we have in Jesus Christ that is eternal life. That is a promise that Jesus has for us. He promised that when he left, he was going to prepare a place for us, a place and our a room in the father's house that we will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Hold fast to the truth that your sins have been forgiven, that you now have eternal life, that you have the privilege of being called a child of God. That's a, another sign of a true believer. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's there's more to be said about the signs of a true believer. If you want even more signs of a true believer, take the time, go back, listen to the First John podcast, Or even better, go study the book of 1 John yourself. Take a pencil and read 1 John and put a letter K over every reference to the word no. And then go back through and look at the word no and write out a list. You will see all of these signs of a true believer in Jesus Christ, First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses one to two, one and two. Now I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which I preach to you, uh, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, and unless you believed. In vain. Huh. All right, there's a couple things in here. Uh, Paul tells us that he he preached the gospel. It tells us that the church at Corinth received the gospel. Now, now this is more important. Uh, standing in the gospel, uh, I just want to take a contrast with you for a minute. I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm chapter one. And in Psalm chapter one. Uh, There is a contrast to this very idea that Paul says that you first um, heard the word, that you receive the word, and now you stand in the word. Listen to what the author in Psalm chapter 1 tells us. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, uh, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So a contrast to this would be to look like this, all right? So as a person's walking down the street, uh, they're walking down the street and they see the actions of a wicked man, all right? You can walk by the actions of a wicked man, and this is what it's saying. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, all right? So you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or take any of their advice or listen to what's happening but notice the progression it then says stand in the path of sinners so now it's going from walking to standing and then the final one of chapter psalm chapter 1 verse 1 is sitting All right. All of those things are how blessed is the man who doesn't do this, because it what it is. It's you kind of walk by sin. You 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 don't kind of get involved in it. But then when you stop and you stand in it, it looks a lot more inviting and more more exciting to be a part of. And then when you sit, uh, you're getting comfortable living in it. But you see, what Jesus, what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is it's the, the it's the complete opposite. There's one thing to hear the gospel, to hear it off in the distance, to know the facts about the gospel. Then there's another part of that that says, in similar to standing for the one who stands in the path of sinners, there is the one who receives the gospel. It's now receiving the gospel and believing the gospel, and then Paul says, you believers who heard the word, received the word, are now standing firm in the word. The same way Psalm one gives us the contrast that says that one who was walking in the path is standing in the path is now sitting in their sin. It's an exact opposite when we see what Paul's saying about the believers. They heard the word, they received the word, and now they're living in the light of the gospel of the as true believers in Jesus Christ. But there's an if. There's an if statement in First Corinthians fifteen. And part of that if statement is, if you hold fast to the gospel. (laughs) Uh, Not only the gospel, but how to live in light of the gospel changing your life. You see, the Old Testament, it is filled with with ways for us to get to know who God is. We have the Gospels who teach us who Jesus is, and then we have the Epistles that teach us how to live out the truth of the Gospel in light of salvation. Hold fast to the Word. Hold fast to your assurance. Stand firm until the end. These are all signs Of true believers. Do you notice? Did you notice all of these things? None of them have to do anything with deeds. None of them have to do anything with serving. It's all about where your heart is positioned in light of what truth you know. This is what Jesus is addressing in this church. Look what he tells them in the uh, continuing verses. He says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, and that you are alive I mean we are so we we are like into this and we haven't even got into the instructions yet but I want to pull out some signs for you so that you can apply this to your own life here are uh, six seven signs of a dying church seven signs of a dying church that we need to pay attention to uh, the church is in danger when it is content to rest on previous successes. They hold on to the past and keep striving and and stop striving for growth in the present. So you've got to uh, be able to move forward and strive for growth. Uh, The church is dying when the church is more concerned with liturgical forms of worship than the spiritual reality of the hearts of the people. When we're more concerned about how we do the service than we are about going after hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The church is dying when it's focused way more on curing social issues than transforming the hearts of people through the power of the living gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to reach out into our community. We are to have lives changed. But we are to do that by the power of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation, Romans chapter 1. Uh, the church is dying when it's more concerned with material things over spiritual things. How often have you seen that churches become way more focused on the four walls that they, they minister in than they do looking at the hearts and of those who are sitting within the four walls? a church is dying when it's more concerned with what men think than what God said in his word that goes back to we can we can change things to be culturally relevant but we cannot change the pillars that are in God's word the church is dying when it loses its focus on the importance of God's word when when you start to see sermons that have less and less of God's word in them, and more stories, and more, more jokes, and all of these illustrations, and we're not opening the word of God. It's a dying church. A church is dying when it loses its conviction that the Bible is God's very voice. You see, it doesn't matter. Uh, no matter what your church attendance is, no matter how impressive the building is, no matter what the church's reputation is in the community, a church that denies the only source of spiritual life is dead. It's that simple. Let me let me just give you that again. No matter what the church attendance is, no matter how impressive the building is, no matter what the reputation in the community is, a church that denies the only source of the Spirit is, is dead, of the spiritual life is dead. The church at Sardis was performing deeds, but Jesus said they were not complete in the sight of God. They were going through the motions, they were playing church. In the eyes of God, the deeds were pointless and lifeless. And that's when he says in verse 2, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die, because I'm finding your deeds not complete. Wake up. The dead In that church, they needed to be saved. They needed to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. They needed to stop playing church, and they needed to make this real, not only for the church, but for themselves. Uh, In the context of this, uh, the deeds that we're talking about is the quality of the deeds, all right? They were doing the right deeds, but the gas in the tank... Was not the Holy Spirit. It was by their own will. Uh, Ephesians, let's just do a couple cross references before uh, we get into the rest of the instruction. But Ephesians chapter 2, which we've already been in uh, today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10 For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. We are his workmanship. We're created in Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Uh, service is a big part of Christianity. God has prepared us, He's given us spiritual gifts and things that. We need to be using for for the betterment and the furthering of the kingdom of God on this earth. But all of these things are propelled, not because we have to, but because we want to. We're already saved. It's justification by faith and not by works. Uh, Titus chapter uh, 3, verses uh, 5 to 8. All right, so Titus chapter 3, verse 5 to 8. If you have a problem finding Titus, the T's... Go from longest to shortest. So you can start with the the Thessalonians and work your way back, and you'll find Titus. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. And what he says here is, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by grace we would be made heirs, according to the hope in eternal life. We're justified by faith. You can look this one up on your own. James chapter 2, 14 to 26. We are saved by faith. He says, remember what you heard. Revelation chapter 3, wake up, strengthen the things which remain, because they are about to die. Your deeds are not complete in the sight of God. Why? They're not fueled by the Holy Spirit. Remember what you received and heard and keep it. Remember the gospel. Remember what you know about Jesus Christ. But repent. You see, that is the kicker there. It's more than just knowing facts about Jesus. It's having your life transformed by God. It's what Paul says in Romans is the newness of life, putting away your old self. There has to be change. This is way more than just playing church. Remember what you received and what you heard. Repent. If you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you will not know at which hour I will come to you. Uh, There are a lot of instructions here. Uh, We need to remember the word, what you've heard. We need to keep it, live in it, stand in it. And repent of sin. Why? Because you don't know when Jesus is coming back. This is why playing church is such a problem. This is why going through the motions of church without heart transformation is a serious situation. Because if Jesus comes back before you repent of your sins, and you give your heart wholeheartedly to Jesus— Your destination is wrath. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, you are destined for wrath, but God. This is life and death, folks. If you know people out who who haven't listened to this podcast before, but you know people are listening to church, you need to click the share button on this and let other people know that playing church is so serious, it's a matter of life or death. And I promise you that in this world, there are things that you would not do and actions you would not do for the fun of it because you know that you would die, right? Right? Those are things that we would say in this life, my life is too precious to play with that I don't want to do it because the potential of me doing it, I could die. But isn't it interesting how we can go through the motions and play church, but our brains are not helping us to comprehend the very fact that we could die and be eternally separated from Jesus. This is serious stuff. Do you see why this week is so convicting? You gotta pause and stop, and you gotta ask Jesus, do an x-ray on my heart. Search my heart, God. Am I going through the motions? Look what he continues to say. He says, There is some small commendation, but it comes later. It's it's in the opposite of the rest. It comes later, and he says, There's a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. Those people, they'll walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Wasn't the whole church. The whole church is not dead. Some people were truly saved. Some people were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, these people, they will walk with me in white. For they are worthy. Uh, white robes hold a great significance in the Book of Revelation. Because of time, we're not going to fully get into this, but uh, saints wear white. Those who are truly saved of Jesus Christ will wear white robes. You can look these up: uh, Revelation chapter six, chapter seven, chapter sixteen. And chapter 19 all mention those who are in white robes, those whose sins have been washed clean. We'll look at the promise that comes as we wrap up this week's podcast. Thanks for hanging in there with me. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, we're going to be clothed in white garments. Truly saved, spending eternity with Jesus. One of the signs of true salvation will be in that day we will be dressed in white garments. Revelation chapter 21 verse 27. as as John writes about the description of the new heaven and the new earth, this is what he says. he says, nothing unclean, and no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into it. But those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter. Those who are clothed in white garments, this is the promise. He who overcomes will be dressed in white. We can look forward and we know that the promise that we will receive, the one who overcomes, the one who stands firm, holds fast until the end, will receive eternal life. We also see the promise that Jesus will confess his name before the Father. And I just want to bring us to one more cross reference to wrap us up in. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, this is Jesus speaking. And listen to what he tells us. He says, Therefore, anyone, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Folks, what this comes down to in this week's episode is this church is the dying church. This church is a group of people who are playing church. There is hope for this church. There is hope for these people who are playing church. There is hope for those in 2022 who are listening to this podcast, who are sharing this podcast with others. There is hope for those who are going through the motions of church. And that hope is Jesus Christ that through professing in Jesus' name, that believing the truth of the gospel, that when you make Jesus Lord and Savior over your life, that when you commit your life to him, that your sins are forgiven, that you are saved, that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit that was promised that you are a true child of God, that you will not lose your salvation, even though as a Christian you may walk and you may still sin. That's another episode for another time. But you are God's. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father according to the book of Hebrews. And he professes your name to the Father. That one is not going to face wrath because He is mine. He has been washed in my blood and therefore will inherit the promise of eternal life. Don't be one of those who goes about playing church. Sit back. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Listen to how the Holy Spirit is grabbing your heart right now. And take what you need to take before the Lord. And ask him to work in your life. Ask him to change you and transform you into the one who is ready and prepared to meet Jesus. Father, we do thank you for the time that you have given us in your word today. Lord, I pray. I pray for those people and those churches that are just playing church and going through the motions. Father, transform their hearts. By the power of your Holy Spirit, bring conviction. Help us to walk in the way that you have called us to according to your word. Help us to stand firm and hold fast and be assured of the promises that are to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are so grateful you joined us in today's episode of Unlocking the Truth the podcast by Precept Ministries Canada. Visit our website, preceptministries.ca to get more details on the 2023 Holy Land Tour and be sure to register for an upcoming summer workshop, whether in person or online. You will find one that best suits where you are in your precept journey. Know God deeply, live differently.